This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. On today's PropTech VC podcast, we have Roland Hobbs, the founder and CEO of Stake. Stake is cashback for renters, and they're on a mission to make rent financially rewarding. And I've also invested in Stake through our VC fund. Roland, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, Roland, you have a very fascinating background, uh, especially a very strong one on the UX UI side. Could you give us a very quick summary of, of how you got here? Yeah, I started a company back in 2004 that focused on product design, and we got pulled into a lot of customer experience and loyalty work. We worked on uh, Sephora uh, and helping them move into the mobile era. They have one of the most successful loyalty programs out there. We worked also with a lot of financial services companies, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, uh, most notably working on Capital One and the What's in Your Wallet uh, campaign. Um, and uh, that kind of got me pulled in. And once I was hooked on the, the world of how do you keep your your best customers sticking around, uh, I stuck around. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. And how, how did you come up with the idea? Uh, maybe a very quick, you know, background on what Stake does as well. well. Sure. So Stake is cashback for renters. So you see cashback from credit cards. You get it at Kroger when you walk in the grocery store. So cashback is this way that is a way to reward folks. And um, I've been doing a lot of work in that world for a long time. And they always talk about these two categories that are really big, shopping and travel. And when I looked at my monthly expenses, I'm like, well, wait a second, those are not the biggest categories. Shopping and travel are, are certainly big and I love to travel, but there's this other housing category and it always stuck with me and I didn't, I wasn't in real estate at the time. But as I walked around in New York, I live in Manhattan, there's a lot of signs that say one month free, two months free. And I would think, well, if you translate that into a cash back, that's a lot of cash back. That's more than my credit card's giving me. And um, and so I thought, why isn't that there, why aren't these tools available in housing? And that's how, that's how it began, was to be able to really think about, well, can something that's worked so well in the credit card industry and in the retail industry work for the biggest share of wallet, which is housing? It's interesting when boardrooms all around the world and executive teams look at capturing more of the share of wallet out of a customer, you're right. Travel, shopping, leisure, other areas. Obviously housing is the biggest, but everyone just like, okay, then there's housing and then there's their car and you know, there's health, which we don't touch. Uh, it just seems impenetrable. It just seems like, okay, it's just a roof under your head and that's all it is. And it's uh, pretty cool to come up with a new financial model to, to monetize that. Uh, through what you're doing. Now, you're also in a very interesting place because you're not just pure prop tech. You've got a lot of fintech behind what you're doing. What What's changed over the last years, you know, since you've been running Stake, that's made fintech a lot more accessible and uh, allows you to build the type of company you're building? Because I understand you're offering now credit cards for your renters. You're, yeah. you're, you're able to tap in and see how they spend their money. You're able to offer cash back and you're able to you know, do a lot of things like that, which it was harder to do before. I think there's a couple of things. There's one, which is a cultural shift. Um, after 2008, uh, folks 
moved away from larger banks uh, and especially renters, right? A lot of folks were lost trust in, in, in larger banks. So one is a whole cultural you know, movement to, and if you look at the where America's renters who have less than $800 saved on average, where they bank is not Wells Fargo. It's not Capital One. These are not places that they are going to. It is much more likely that they are getting um, uh, banked by what's called neobanks. Uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, predatory things like payday loans and this sort of thing play a big portion in this. So there's one which is a whole cultural movement. At the same time, you have this tech that comes up that powers a lot of neobanks where it's easier for folks to be able to provide banking services. And, uh, and so since we begin with, if you take your largest portion of your wallet housing and say that's giving you cash back every month, we build up a lot of trust. So we started to see as we were growing that renters, uh, we call them resident members because we think of them as, as really belonging and we, we, we treat them like members, but we begin with that reward. So they imagine your first housing and banking relationship beginning with putting money in your account, not taking it out. And then people go, well, can you teach me a little bit more about how I should be saving my money? Can you help me with something else? So that's what we're hoping to do. So the first product we have out is our stake visa debit card. Uh, it gives additional cash back everywhere that somebody shops for visas accepted. It gives a no fee checking account as well. And this is incredibly empowering because sometimes for our, our resident members, the first time that they've had a checking account that isn't uh, trying to get one over on them. Yeah, we, we've got a lot of people who are investors on the show and property managers and um, there is this divide between assets and we categorize it usually as, oh, it's a class A asset, it's a class B asset. Oh, this is a class C asset. What do you notice that's different about um, the renters who have more along the mean average uh, or median average even of, uh, I think you said $800 a month net worth. So that's the average in the US. And of course you have a huge range in there. You have renter by choice. Uh, that would be more in the A class. Interestingly, we've had a number of folks in that category so they have the same delinquency problem. So I'm not sure if always you have, uh, it's not true that the delinquency is always held in the, the, you know, in the C class properties. I think that you just have a different range of what people's aspirations are and what they consider, uh, consider to be achievable. So somebody who may be um, just beginning on their financial journey uh, is not looking to necessarily buy a home, right? That, that, that's somebody who's later in their financial journey and has a, 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 a certain income bracket who can afford to do so. So everybody has a different goal that they're going to, but everybody has an aspiration, right? So everybody has an aspiration of what the next thing that they're saving for. And if housing can help them save for that, that that's fantastic. And that's what, that's what we're able to do. Now, some other important differences, we're just starting in the largest residential property in Washington, DC. It's a wonderful, uh, solidly luxury property, right? kind of the typical ones that you, you see around. But interestingly, that group who may have large student loans, right? they're they very successful jobs, but large student loans are paying quite a bit in rent. They may have families as well. They are on a percentage basis, equally having trouble being able to save as well uh, because they're paying out quite a bit in student loans and this sort of thing. So I'm not sure if it's always as true as people want to think that there is uh, higher savings for more luxury renters could be equally just as difficult uh, given that they're already sold a pretty intense loan products when they were 18 um, and they're still paying it off. And what's the consequence of this for, for banks? Because renters are notoriously difficult to bank. Sometimes they're referred to as, you know, they're unbankable. They're very difficult to sell products to. They don't have many savings. Their, their credit sometimes is, you know, a, a, a problem as well. 
So this is a, it, this is absolutely true. So it's unbanked or uh, uh, have minimal banking and are going to a lot of alternative banking services. Um, but that doesn't mean that they don't have quite a bit of um, influence on spending. So if you were to say this is an unbanked group, I think you know Walmart has certainly stepped into this area to, to definitely try to be able to bank and extend banking services and sees it as you kind of see this connection. Walmart is everyday low prices and they're trying to do the same thing with, with savings. We're trying to do the same thing as, as Walmart of stepping in and saying, well, what if you begin with renting, help them build savings and then help them every time that they make a purchase. So it, it is tricky. There's a lot of financial literacy. So something that we may consider, but I think also changing the, the view as to what somebody's aspirations are. I'll give one example of a, a resident that we talked with the other day and they were excited about saving for two things. One was to change the tires on their car. Um, the car is super important for the three jobs that they're working on. And the other one was saving for their wedding anniversary. And these are things that everybody can kind of relate to. It's the same thing that a lot of folks uh, can get to. It's just the thing of the other banking services aren't helping them get there, withdrawal fees, et cetera. We have none of that. And we're actually helping them save for changing those tires on the car and the wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's shocking how predatory some of these larger banks are. And I think you alluded to the fact that the great recession, financial crisis that we had created a lot of distrust from amongst general consumers and sort of this emergence of smaller banks and neobanks. One thing that's really unique to prop tech companies is that they can leverage distribution channels to reach consumers. And you found great success with that. You're, you're able to partner with property managers and gain access to the entire tenant base. Yes. And why is your pitch so powerful? How do you, how do you work with property managers and how are, you, how, are you, how are you able to get so much distribution to sometimes get hundreds of tenants or thousands of tenants at once? Whereas your typical bank has to actually spend money on your know, user acquisition, get client by client, deal with retention and churn issues. You, on the other hand, are in a building and you, you become quite critical to the workflow of, of how a tenant even pays their rent. So I think that for, if you think about the, the initial phases of what it's like when you're looking for a home, which is incredibly stressful, right? To be able to, to pick up and move all your things and, and go somewhere new and try to find somewhere for yourself if you live on your own or with your family, your partner, pets, et cetera. It all becomes a very difficult thing to be able to do. And in the middle of this, it combines two of the worst things, which is moving all of your stuff and a big financial decision, right? It's the largest expense that you're gonna make during that year. And I think any uh, therapist out there would tell you this would be a high stress moment, right? So the more that we can help take the stress out of that for the resident who's moving, the more likely they are to be able to move into that 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 property. Um, so as an example, a lot of properties spend 600 to $1,000 per resident to acquire a resident, right? They, and that's separate from even if they're discounting the rent. Google and Instagram costs have gone up uh, 89% in the last year. Uh, listing costs have gone up tremendously in terms of just being able to list the apartment. Labor costs for leasing agents are going up at the same time. So just being able to get somebody to move into a property is expensive. So anything you can do to be able to attract somebody is going to lower your costs. At the same time, a lot of properties do this thing where they discount the rent. They'll say, oh, if you move in right now, I'll give you two weeks free or four weeks free or they'll just reduce it all of a sudden for, you know, uh, on somebody. And the challenge here is that when they do that, 
Um, it's not necessarily proven to be effective because the resident doesn't feel any of that. Like, I'm not sure you ever got the like, you don't save money you didn't spend. <laughs> you don't feel it two months later. So what we're doing is we're turning that around saying, hey, why don't you just put some money in their pocket so that they can actually save it and, uh, and build it up over time. So on the leasing side, we're making it a lot easier for the resident, for the property manager, we're reducing a lot of the costs and overhead that they have.